I don't do two takes. I'm Calculon, the greatest actor who ever lived. Hello and welcome to the Oncast Grand Rewatch. My name is Dom, as one half of the Oncast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello. So we now live in a world for the sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. We understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to discuss our thoughts on the highs and lows of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history before we review the latest entry and find out whether it's worth seeing. This week, before the release of Marvel's Spider-Man Far From Home, we're looking back at the cinematic history of everyone's favourite wall crawler. Or web crawler, as he's called in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 at one point. Yeah. <laughs> there's web slinger and there's wall crawler. No one's ever called him a web crawler before. But no. somehow they managed to find a way... <laughs> Well, they just... <laughs> Which speaks to their fundamental misunderstanding of the character in that particular film. But we're not there yet. No, we've got five, four films before that. Yeah, so in this episode, we're going to talk about the Raimi trilogy. So Spider-Man's one, two, and three. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about um, The Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, and Spider-Man Homecoming before the premiere of Spider-Man Far From Home. Yeah, so basically what we're going to do is we're going to talk about all the different versions of Spider-Man Yeah, that there have been. Um, because I think it's like fairly generally known. It's probably the, the character that's been done not quite well. I think Batman is the only one that has it beat, isn't it, in terms of the amount of different interpretations there have been on the big screen. Yeah. Um, but this is the one where people always roll their eyes. Like I literally mentioned to my dad the other day that we were doing this. He was like, oh, another Spider-Man. And everyone's like that because it's happened in such a short period of time. Yeah. Since 2002, there have been three separate Spider-Man franchises with different actors and different yeah. interpretations. Um, and they all have their, their unique qualities, shall we say. Yeah. But they're really interesting to look at to see how superhero movies generally have progressed. Yeah, I mean, the evolution from Sam Raimi's Spider-Man all the way through until what we're eventually going to be seeing is Far From Home. Mm is quite a journey. Yeah, and it is, it, they are reflective of the time in which they're made all the time. Yeah. Like the Andrew Garfield reboot is a very particular thing for what was going on around that time in superhero movies. Yeah, it's yeah, like, it was. It's a reaction to Dark Knight, it's a rea- in the same way that Man of Steel was very much the same thing. Um, and, but whereas Spider-Man and Sam Raimi, right at the very beginning, it was that first Spider-Man movie in 2002 that really launched everything and gave us where we are now really yeah yeah the superhero movies it was the first one that really really was the showed. first blockbuster superhero yeah exactly so because the previous to that we had had x-men yeah and that sort of shown that you could take it seriously and it was good and people liked it but then this one was where the money came in and it just made an absolute killing yeah and for a long time had the highest grossing opening weekend i think so i think yeah. it held that record for a really long time mm-hmm. um and yeah it was <laughs> sam raimi's spider-man 2 I mean, you are like an authority on Spider-Man, as far as I'm concerned. You love Spider-Man, always have done. Yes. So when you first saw Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, yep. how did you feel? I bunked off of college to go and see it. Yeah. Um, sorry, Dad. Um, but yeah, so basically, me and a, a bunch of my buddies were like, well, there's going to be a Spider-Man film. It's live action. It's being done by Sam Raimi. We have to go and see this. Yeah. So we went and saw it, I think it was like 11 o'clock. Right. 
on like a Tuesday morning or something. So it'd been out, but obviously there wasn't the sort of the electronic zeitgeist that there is now around. Yeah, sort like of crowd. Was there like backlash about the casting or anything no, like that? No, 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 no. There was none of that. Like we we knew it was coming. We knew who it was going to be, and it was one of those things where you were just like, "That's it. That's who the actor is, and that's how it's going to be." When I saw it, thought it was amazing. Yeah. Had some reservations in there, mm. but at the same time, I was a college kid who was studying film. So I understood that, you know, it, there's a campiness to it. And then there's like, you know, there are what at the time was groundbreaking visual effects. Oh, yeah. And composite sort of shots and um, the sort of the iconography and the sort of the directorial traits that came from Raimi as well. Yeah. Were brilliant. And to this day, I still really enjoy it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I will say <coughs> that over the years, I still am one of those people that says that Spider-Man 2 is still one of my favourite superhero films of all time. Okay. Just because it fits a mould very specifically of how superhero films should work. Yeah. It's got everything it needs. It's got everything that you would expect. It's got bright colours and dynamic action, and it's all over the place. It looks like a comic book in motion with enough modernisation twists that it works functionally. But um, and then you get to three, which is another thing that we'll talk about when we get to three. Yeah. But yeah, so the first one was great. I really enjoyed it. In hindsight, having gone back and watched it this week, there's a lot of quite lumpy CGI. Oh, yeah. I think the CGI, I, is... I sort of give it a pass on CGI just because of how old it is. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, like, some of the stuff that's in there is a bit... Not a bit much, but it could have benefited from something else Yeah, in place rather than using an effect that is just on the cusp of being dated. Mm. But, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff in there is great. Yeah. It really is. And the way that, like, Defoe's performance and Maguire's performance Defoe. and Franco... Defoe, and... man. Willem Defoe as Norman Osborn in that first film is so good. I love it. He, he's so over the top and he's having such a great he's time. like, peak Defoe. Peak. It's when he's goloming. The best scene in the whole movie is when he's talking to himself in the mirror. Yeah. And he's doing... The, he's, like, literally switching from, like, one version of himself to another. It's so good. It's so ridiculous. And like, I love it. I love it's it so absolute much. madness. And that's one of the reasons, and I'm going to say something that could be potentially controversial. Mm-hmm. I actually prefer, going back from this rewatch that we've done now, I think I prefer Spider-Man 1 to Spider-Man 2. Really? Yeah, I think I do. And one of the reasons being Willem Dafoe, for a start. Yeah. Because as much as, I think, Doc Ock... And the way they did Doc Ock, he's visually he looks amazing. Yeah. And, and when they're, and when they're fighting and all of the arms are moving and everything, it's absolutely spot on. But I don't think he's as fun a character to watch. And it sort of just bugs me. Like when he becomes a supervillain, he yeah. just switches from being he, to a completely different person. Yeah. I mean, and they could have. Yeah, we'll get to two in a bit. But yeah, I feel like Willem Dafoe's sort of yeah. He does the duality thing, but it's, and it's really stupid and over the top. But he's having so much fun with it, and he's having all the. He's just fun to watch. He's yeah. just a lot more fun to watch than I find Avril Molina. Although, yeah, like I say, the action scenes that they give Doc Ock are, by their very nature, more exciting to watch because it's yeah. a guy with four metal arms welded onto a 
you know, a scientist called Otto Octavius ends up with eight limbs. What are the odds? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the fundamental thing that you that strikes you immediately when you start watching these again as well is how old all the actors are. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a clear point for me as well. So I was going to say, like the for me, the unforgivable sin of Spider Man is uh, well, the first Raimi Spider Man is is it's just how evidently old everyone is yeah it? and it when d- you listen to like um like joe manganello for example has been quite outspoken about it yeah and he said about like a few things that have happened on there like toby Maguire was like infamously hard to work with and yeah he was offered money to like hit him Actually for hit him. real yeah, yeah yeah um and then but then the other one that he was saying about is on a recent nerdist episode he was talking about D and yeah and he was talking about everything else. And they were like, yeah, but like, yeah, let's talk about what everything else you've got as well because like, you were in Spider-Man. And he was like, yeah, we were being wet-shaved, like cutthroat razor, on set before we were going on camera. Yeah. So, so, literally, make so literally before yeah. they were doing it, like, then they would go, they would get a shave, and then they would get some makeup quickly put on that bit, and then they would be on camera. And it was for all three of them, for Franco, Maguire, and Manganello. Yeah, you can tell. All at the same time. That's the thing, like, it's the opening of the movie is Peter running to catch the school bus. And immediately now, I think part of it is obviously because we've now seen Tom Holland playing the part, although, and, and yeah. we're used to a younger Peter. But then also, now you look at it, it's just like, why is this 30-year-old man running to catch this school bus? This is a yeah, bit disconcerting. But also, why are <laughs> half the pupils on this bus in their 30s? And they're all the old as shit, yeah. And it's, and it's really obvious that they yeah. are when they're all like on a school field trip, but clearly, clearly, like... Yeah. Like, like, they've, already, like, they've already got a house, a mortgage, and a kid. Mm. Like, I don't know why they're it's on the a... school th- that they've been at for 15 years. <laughs> and it's, it is it's, really it's weird. It's the school California. High school California. You can check out. We can never leave. <laughs> but the problem. But yeah, and that's the thing. Like you get on the bus, and like ev- everyone's just like, you can't sit here. Yeah. Like the Forrest Gump moment. I feel like. But then you look at everyone. You're like, that person's at least thirty. That person's at least thirty. Yeah. Maybe twenty five. Yeah. That person's thirty. I think the worst part almost is not only after the school bit is then when he goes home and his interactions with Aunt May and <laughs> they're treating him like Feels a kid. Really, like weird. at one point they say, "Have you got your like? You like? Have you got your lunch money?" I'm like, "What the fuck do you mean? I've got my lunch money. I've got a checking account." I mean, what do you mean? I've got my lunch money. I'm collecting your pension. <laughs> It's just, Where it's do you so think weird. we are, Aunt May? It's so fucking weird when they just they talk to him like he's a child. It's really the, fucking the, strange. The just... most uncomfortable part of the whole thing what? is when he's webbing around in his room. Thirty-year-old man webbing around in his room whilst <laughs> spying on his twenty-five-year-old girlfriend over the way, <laughs> and Aunt May is like, "What's going on in here?" And he's like, "I'm, I'm exercising." And she's like, "What's all this fuss?" And he's like. I'm not dressed. I'm not dressed, aren't they? And I'm... it's like, this is very strange for a guy that's like, he's, he's he was really... the oldest out of the three of those guys. Oh, yeah. And it's like Franco was the youngest at 27. <laughs> <laughs> and again, he's meant to be, so he's t- they're playing 10 years, they're 10 years older than they should be. They're meant yes. to be graduating from high school. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> I understand. Joe Manganiello doesn't look that old. But at no. the same time, 
Come on, man. I just I don't get it. I, it's really it's really weird, and it just takes you out of the whole thing. It's like the old seems... Doyle rules thing, like yeah. Um, and then I mean that sort of leads me into Aunt May and Uncle Ben in these movies. So I've got a weird thing with it, right? So I like I think the Uncle Ben plot and the Uncle Ben entire scenario that plays out with Uncle Ben is the the best thing in this movie, and it's part of the reason why I like it as much as I do, and part of the reason why I'm ranking it above. Uh, two. Yeah. It's because the whole scenario of Uncle Ben drives into the wrestling match, he goes into the wrestling match, he lets the guy go, the guy then, all that. I think that's perfect. And that's yeah. exactly what it needs to be. It means that Peter is responsible for his death. They get the line, the famous, with great power comes great responsibility. They get all that. And I think that's it. It's been done definitively and you can't ever replicate it. They try doing a different thing with it in the later one. We'll talk about it later. Doesn't work. Because it's been done. It's like to me, it's like yeah. the definitive. That's how it has to play out. Because the whole point of that is that it has to be Peter's fault, and that has to be then the thing that drives him on to be Spider Man. Yeah. Well, it, the thing is, it's as it's always been. It's not actually Peter's fault. Well, it's, it's a because he, the, because it's it's he's assumed it as his responsibility yeah. that he could have stopped that situation. Exactly. It's that it's that thing of when you, you know, I had the, the ability to stop it, but I didn't. Yeah, that's the thing. So he's not directly. Yeah. It's not like he pulled the trigger, but he feels no. indirectly responsible for it. Yeah. So that and that has to be there. That is like the nexus of his character and what it has and to be built on. Now I love that. I think they should. That's perfect. But I don't particularly like the casting of either Uncle Ben or Aunt May in these movies. Really? I think that Cliff was it. Cliff Robinson is his name. Yeah, I think so. He's a great actor, and he's you know all respect to him. But I feel the way they write. Uncle Ben and Aunt May in these first set of movies, they're like saints. Yeah. They're like ridiculous, pious, like only giving out like sage advice and that's all they do. They're not real people and it just, it, yeah. like, it bugs me. But it, that's like, the thing. You, it's, you, by grounding them, it would make everything else around it be a little bit more confusing because this whole thing is is like an exaggerated and amplified universe and everything's bright and vivid and camp yeah and, and it's, people it's, are constantly wailing and screaming and wearing yeah. all sorts of strange attire yeah true i think that they are they're a prime example of the reason that these movies that i struggle with these movies that they are like they're so removed from reality yeah and that's the same can be said of like some of the dialogue with mj and some of the way that relationship plays out, yeah. And some of the, there are so many because, like you say, everything is campy and big, and and it's too far. So yeah. for me, for my sensibilities, it's too far removed from real life. Yeah. And that's not to say you can't have it be realistic, and also have the with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. There is a way of doing that. But I feel like for what it was, it was it's too far. Like. Yeah, I I do see what you mean, but it's it for me it's always been that thing that it's kind of like I said earlier, it's kind of sort of slotted in perfectly to to that movie. At yeah, that it works point for, in time. Right. It works for that movie. It that worked perfectly because you, we are looking at like a sort of more modern day interpretation of the origin of Spider Man, which came out in the sixties. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's. It is. I do know what you mean, but that's kind of how Aunt Ben and Aunt May and Uncle Ben always were for me. I guess so. Yeah, I just like they, yeah because they are like... always background characters, and like when they do get to have a bit of drama, like especially like Uncle Ben mm. is always solidified in 
memory. So it's to sort of take this a little bit of a sort of a, a step away from the sort of film side of things. There is this whole sort of circumstance within like psychological yeah. worlds that when somebody dies, it there's a reinforcement there. Yeah. And what it does is it immediately part of your mind locks in that memory because you're aware that you're not going to see that person again. So your mind really holds onto it. But what it does is it holds onto like this idealized picture of it. Yeah. And it's the same with like breakups and a lot of other things. You tend to only see either the very best or the very worst. And what they've done within the comics with that is that they've said that this is what has happened with Pete. He's like Uncle Ben has died a very formative time for him. And this very small window that he had from 6 to 15 has completely put Uncle Ben on the pedestal oh, yeah. of greatness. Yeah. And because May is an older woman who has now gotten to the point where she's he's pretty much the only man that she's ever been with. She absolutely worshipped and adored him. They went through everything together and then he suddenly died. She has the same perspective. So okay. any time yeah. that you see it from an outside perspective, he is like... Like this deific type. Yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense. And I feel like, yeah, they, they can... Which I think makes more sense in the fact that, like, especially like these Spider-Man, the Raimi trilogy are sort of narrated. Yeah, true. So it um, was almost like this is his yeah. telling it to, to to Mayday or whoever his sort of descendant is. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I get the, the putting him on a pedestal and sort of and glorifying him. I understand that, but I just wish that in the time that we had with him on screen, he was a little bit more relatable. Like I really like Martin Sheen's version. Yeah. I really like Martin Sheen and they do have a relationship Yeah, and they have really good. And, but, and then it means that I don't know. I feel that you could have that, but then also mix it in with some of the more say the sageness of Cliff Robinson's yeah. character, like give him the line because it's, it really bugs me that we had this more grounded version of Uncle Ben who like was worried about his bowling trophies and would yeah. like talk to Peter about how to fix the condenser and all these little things th- stuff like that which has made them I believe their relationship more yes. as a sort of and like there was yeah. that great moment as well like because they took a lot of the I don't know we're moving on a little bit to the Amazing Spider-Man but well I think it makes but, sense though it makes sense I'm talking about these con- crossover contrasting features. the different Uncle Bens yeah so with that like, what I like about those characters that a lot of it ends up being framed around this whole thing about Peter's parents. Mm-hmm. But there's this moment where he comes in and they have a conversation, Peter and uncle Ben. And he says about, Oh, the, the guy in the picture with your dad was this guy. And he goes, look, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world. Like your dad was, but you know, I've sort of done my best. And then as he's leaving, Peter just says to him, Hey, uncle Ben, you know, you're a really great dad. Yeah. Like that is like, because he's just he knows it, you pick up when they have a relationship with someone where you can pick up on what they're saying underneath it and go, I can see what you're saying and mm-hmm. you sort of feel insecure about yourself. Yeah, feel like you're not measuring up. And I'm going to tell you now. No, trust me, you're great. Yeah, and that like little things like that is why I really like that version of the character and that relationship. There are like flashes of excellence, and it's like that's what bugs me. This <laughs> because, like we say with the Raimi trilogy, in my mind putting that onto celluloid was exactly that. Yeah. Aunt May had the same haircut and acted in the same way and had the same mannerisms. And Uncle Ben was this sort of, you know, sort of squat old guy that was a bit handy around the house. He wasn't great. He wasn't great at everything. Pete did have to help him. But, yeah. you know, he was he would do the right thing and he was very honourable and he was a very... Yeah. 
sort of he had a lot of integrity yeah. as sort of a man. Yeah. And but then when you get to the sort of the Martin Sheen one, you get these extra depths. But one of the things that I think that they grossly, grossly messed up on was him giving the speech via voicemail. Yeah, the voicemail speech was crap. It was it was after the fact, and again, it was one of those. It went back into that whole thing of what they did in the Raimi films with both me, which is when the character aren't they or whoever just like vocalized exactly what the plot was, like, yeah. and just like how could you possibly know that? Like it's such a weird thing. I was like. So, Peter, to sum up the movie, I thought I'd say it and go, what? What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> what movie? It all got really meta for a second. Um, but yeah, and then the other thing, like part of the reason why I love One so much, um, Tom McGuire's first movie, is like I say, that setup of the Uncle Ben's death, mm-hmm. particularly when you contrast it with the way they did with Martin Sheen's character. Martin Sheen's death was just a fucking mess. It was all over the place. Peter wasn't really responsible for any of it. it the guy... The, Uncle Ben was responsible for it. Uncle Ben got himself killed. Yeah. Because the guy, there was a guy who was running across the street having just robbed a convenience store. He drops his gun on the floor and Uncle Ben's reaction is to go for the gun. Yeah. And then gets himself killed. And it's like, no, that's not, no. Because the old one was, there's an old man waiting to pick up his grandson, essentially, his nephew, outside, just waiting in the car like a, like a dutiful old man and then he gets carjacked and shot down in the street, and it's brutal, yeah. and it's horrible. That's how it should go. And then you add on to the fact that the guy who did it was the guy that Peter let go, and it's like, oh, God, is this perfect tragedy? And, like, there's a reason why that has been in the comic books, and that has been there as a solid foundation origin story for that long. It's because it's so powerful, because it's so well thought out. Yeah. And that was why I love that first movie, because it's perfect, a perfect you know, version of that whole story. Yeah. And then Peter chases him down. He realizes who the guy is, that he's the guy who he let go, and then he has to live with that guilt for, you know, however. And that's the thing that drives him. Perfect. Amazing Spider Man. <laughs> My machine goes for a gun, and then, they're, and then they have the whole thing of Peter's motivation for going out and beating people up is revenge. Yeah. Which is like. Well, that's what. In a way. It's, it's, that is always what it was. In a way, it's. It's always what yeah. it was. He always went to get revenge. The. F- with what happened and so in the comic book origin up up until the point of the the wrestling match is pretty much is what happens he gets bitten by a spider whilst on a field a radioactive spider whilst on a field trip he learns his powers he exploits these powers to go into a wrestling match to win some money because he now has all this power and can do what he wants with it willfully Um, he's got power but but he ain't responsibility yet exactly and then, but the same night that he stops, uh, he lets the burglar go, he gets home mm. and he finds out that the guy that robbed the wrestling place has burgled the house and in the process has shot Ben. Yeah. So Pete then goes off to find him, finds him, turns him in. But it's when he finds it, when he's got hold of him and he realises who he is that's the point that it changes in his head. Yeah. That's when it goes from vengeance to this is my fault. Yeah. And then it's the closing caption of the comic book is with great power comes great responsibility. It's never told to him Yeah. in the original arc since it has been, and it's been retconned in, but it was Stan Lee's editor's note. Yeah. Rather than anything else. Yeah. Um, so I think, I th- and that's the thing, I think some people have taken sort of like a literal interpretation 
and said, right, Uncle Ben does this. This is how he does. This is how he does. This is how he does. Which is what happens in Raimi. Yeah. And then when they've done it in Amazing, it's done it in a way that's quite convoluted and doesn't really work so no. well. Because they're so th- because it's like, oh, they're going to use it to the origin of the suit as well as why he wears a mask and he's doing this. And then it's like interspersed with scenes where he's like, oh, it's spandex, spandex, it's always spandex. And it's like he's being a bit goofy and silly at the same time. And he's like, yes, I'll may I get you some eggs. At the I same time get... that he's on this mission for revenge that he's probably going to go and kill a guy. Yeah, I just don't understand why he then makes the leap from that to becoming a superhero. Yeah. That's never really explained properly. No. But anyway, we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, but yeah, that uh, and then the other thing that I love about um, Spider-Man 1 and the reason why I sort of have said I like it more than 2 is because it does have that thing of the sacrifice that Peter makes. So at the mm-hmm. end of the at the end of the movie, you have the whole thing with the Green Goblin, um, which I think, yeah, it's a great villain um, from Willem Dafoe. Criminally, they put him under that fucking mask. Yeah. Particularly the, the rooftop scene in particular is awful. The bit he's got some great dialogue in it. Like he talks oh, about where he's got him like chained up. Yeah, but he's like talking about how like he's trying to get him to team up, and he's like, all these teaming masses just ex- exist to pull the the few exceptional people onto their shoulders and all this sort of stuff. Eventually, they'll hate you. I'm like, this is quite this is cool, and I bet you, I bet you're going hell for leather with your face right now. But I can't see it because you're wearing that silly plastic bloody mask on helmet. It. Helmet. Um, yeah. Anyway, besides that. Gets to the end of the movie, they're at the graveside of uh, Norman Osborn, and MJ like confesses her love for Peter mm-hmm. and kisses him, and so she wants to be with him. And this is like from the beginning of the movie. This is the this is the girl next door, the thing he's obsessed with, MJ, and he says, "No, I can't." Yeah, because I've got a responsibility. And he turns and walks away. And that to me is like the perfect like superhero has to give up happiness in his own life because he has a responsibility as a superhero. Yeah, that's perfect. Peter Parker, Spider Man, like, bow on, great arc for a movie, and it's like that's how you do make a superhero origin movie. It's just like mm-hmm. it's a template. You give like that, and like the Richard Donner Superman, and like those kind, of, and like the first Iron Man. They're like the pillars of how to do an origin story. Yeah, with a character arc and a and a, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's that's the thing, like. Like the the Raimi trilogy in in and of themselves are like I I agree I think one is great, but for for me it was two that cemented it mm. because it wasn't that it was this was a one off yeah this was again um, went out to see it with a bunch of my buddies and I was like this is fucking great because it it did I know we always talk about the sequel scenario where they do the same but bigger and they've done it and they've done the same but bigger but it's got it's got more stakes it's got more heart to it yeah it definitely is it definitely stands up there as one of the best superhero sequels i yeah. agree because it, de- it is like one of the purest sequels in terms of a, con- a continuation of the first one yeah everything that happened in the first one has consequences in this one harry's storyline mj's storyline peter Everything is just, and it compounds and it gets and things that were set up in the first one get paid off in this one. Like Peter talking about what happened to Uncle Ben, having that confession scene with Aunt May. Yeah, everything is a thread that is carried through, and it is a, it, for that reason it stands up there as one of the best sequels ever. I think, mm-hmm. like up there with like Terminator Two, and you know you can go on all day about what the best sequels are. Um, yeah, Terminator Two, Titanic Two. <laughs> oh my god, Titanic Two! That was amazing. 
I can't believe we sat and watched that. Anyway. Did we finish that? I think we did. Jesus. Fuck. Uh. That was written by Dick Van Dyke's nephew. Of course it, of course it was. Yeah, well, the problem with Spider-Man 2 comes for me is that it's like he's got this obsession with MJ and like and the whole, you could say this of the whole Raimi trilogy. Yeah. Everything is obsessed with MJ to a point where the only reason that he goes and does, like becomes, he gives up being Spider-Man because MJ got engaged. That's his reason for giving up being Spider-Man. And then he goes back to... And his Spider-Man. life improves. Yeah. Oh, his life improves. It, and that's crucial. Like The one thing they get right is that being Spider-Man makes Peter Parker's life shit. Yeah. And they really fucking drive that home for the first like half of the movie. I get mm-hmm. that. But then, like, like I say, the reason that he turns around and goes, I am Spider-Man no more, is because she gets engaged to someone else. Yeah. And it's like, what, do you think... John Robertson. Yeah. Do, hang on, what, do you think you're going to change that? Like, do you not, why would you not see that as like, right, that's the end point. Fucking move on, mate. Yeah. She's gone. <laughs> There's plenty more fish in the sea. But instead, he decides, I'm going to whine about it and I'm going to give up being Spider-Man. And then he only becomes Spider-Man again because she gets kidnapped. Yeah. It's like, that to me is like a fundamental issue with the character because the the character should have a, his motivation should be to protect the people. And look, Jeremy, and like be a hero for everyone, yeah. not just for the one person that he loves. Yeah, and that's <coughs> part of again part of the the sort of the Spider Man mythos and the Spider Man lore is that he was always so affected by what happened to Uncle Ben yeah. that he wouldn't let that happen again. He's got that as we keep going back to. He's got that power, so he's got that responsibility. So it's up to him to be able to do these things. So he will push himself to the very limit to make sure that people survive and people are being treated right and justice is being served. He won't kill, he won't maim, he won't do anything like that. He will do everything he can mm. to make them to make things right. Every once in a while, a storyline does come along where it puts him off. And I think it's... Oh, this is really going to test me. It's in that box over there. It's, I think it's called The Fall, mm. and it's when J. Jonah Jameson's wife is killed. Yeah. And it's about him, <clears throat> like his harshest critic's wife, who was a huge supporter of Spider-Man, was killed because of something that happened with Spider-Man, because Spider-Man had the opportunity to kill this bad guy and didn't, turned him in, he got out and killed this lady. Right. So it's it's like a modern-day reinforcement of this point, and it, he, it is him questioning every decision again. And it is. It always comes to like one person, because it is a case of save one person, save that person, save that person. They will all add up. Mm. You know, it's not about. I'm not doing this for the people. He's not Superman. It's standing for truth, justice, in the American way. He's standing up for that person. That person at that point that needs him, that needs yeah. that power in their time. Yeah, I guess so. It's just and bit... goes for it from there. Like I get the point. I get that he he walks away because. MJ has moved on because he spurned her. Yeah. But at the same time, it's it's and there are sort of questionable messages in there. It's like the whole sort of nice guy paradox. Yeah. That was like, oh, I'm a nice guy. I was nice to this woman, so she should sleep with me. And it's like, oh, I turned you down, but you should still be in love with me. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not how any of that works. No. Like, you've you've you said no. You said that you would always be there and you would always love her as a friend. But that's it. Yeah. But then like. 
Yeah, and but she's completely unreasonable in the second one as well. She becomes a much more unlikable character in the second one. And especially and three <coughs> as well. They both do. Oh, and three. Is... Three's just not fun to watch because they're both horrible, horrible people. Yeah. And like but yeah, two, like she's like, Oh, the man who like cares so much for me can't even be asked to turn up to see my play. You're not gonna come and watch my play. Because, yeah, because I'm stressed, I'm working two jobs, I'm trying to go to college, and I'm trying to, you know, I've got my own life going on. I'm sorry that I can't make it to your play. I know Harry can. Do you know why? Because he's living off of the money that his dad gave him. I know the astronaut can because he's an astronaut and presumably only has to go and, like... He just has to ask one of the PR officers from NASA. Exactly. And get I'm a real person in the real world. I'm struggling to pay my rent. Yeah. And I can't make your Broadway show, which presumably is going to cost me a lot of fucking money. So stop making it all about your ego, you twat. Maybe ask me about yeah. what's going on in my life. But no, she doesn't care about that because she's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Harry is the entitled shit. Doesn't give a shit about his best mate either, apart from this whole thing about you took a picture of a man I don't like once. And then they have the, isn't that right, brother? <laughs> Slapping him. It's <laughs> great. Franco, Nobel Prize, Otto, Nobel Prize. Ah. <laughs> oh. I love two. I love two. I love two too, but there are problems with it. Like the other problem that I have with it, actually thinking about it, and this might be because I've seen a better version of it. I feel is the thing with Otto Octavius. So Otto Octavius is like meant to be an idol of Peter's. Mm-hmm. Like they talk about that, and then they have that conversation where he sits with his wife, yeah, and Otto, and they talk about lots of different stuff. One of them they talk about is intelligence, and intelligence being a gift of mankind, and that yeah. I really like. And that's like, it should make Peter start to question, and go. Wait a minute, great power comes great responsibility. Maybe my great power is just my intelligence. Yeah. Maybe as Peter Parker, I could cure cancer. I don't have to be a superhero. That could be amazing. They don't really get into that too much, which is a shame. But then what I really feel like they missed an opportunity on is that when I becomes Doc Ock, yeah. Peter should go and try and help him. Peter should be like, I know, I recognise that man. I sat there with him and his wife. I know that she then died as part of this experiment. I know he's turned evil, and I know that he's a good man underneath it all. Yeah. I should go and try and help him. But instead, he just doesn't give a shit. Like, the, the scene at the bank happens, which is a great action scene. Yeah. But then, at that point, Peter then knows that, A, this is all Octavius. B, he's turned bad. But then even after that, he that's uh, it's after that point that he gives up being Spider-Man, when Octavius is still out there somewhere. Not only can he hurt innocent people, yeah. he's a good man who's turned bad. Yeah. And P.S. doesn't seem to give a shit about that at all. Yeah. Because all he cares about is MJ. And, that, and it's that's... things like that which bring it down for me. Yeah. And there there are, yeah, there are flaws in there. And I think... It, that, like especially going back nowadays, like the flaws, the, it, there is the writings on the wall with a lot of it. Like. Yeah, I mean, part of that, the reason that particularly sticks out to me, I guess, is because we've seen that done really well in the Spider-Man PlayStation game that came out recently. Yeah, they did a whole thing of building up the relationship between Peter and Otto. Yeah. and that was really good. But the thing, like, the, the difference there is that, that that's a forty-hour game. I know, I know, but what I mean is, like, it's a fundamental thing that they do actually start to address in the Amazing Spider-Man films, yeah. where he has a compassion for the villains and tries to mm-hmm. draw them down. He doesn't really do that in the Tobey Maguire movies. He just flies in and starts punching. He keeps saying, you don't have to do this, and then he just starts beating them up. Yeah, whereas with Andrew Garfield's one, he does make an attempt, like particularly even yeah. in, in two in particular, even though that movie is a fucking mess, there's a bit in the middle where he's trying to talk down Electro, yeah, for a, for a considerable amount of time. Like he spends almost as much time talking him down as the fight. 
Yeah, he does. Because he's like, and there's a really interesting, I will sort of go off on a slight tangent here. You guys should, if you're interested in this in any way, have a look. There's a uh, video by a YouTube channel called Wisecrack, which talks about the philosophy of Spider-Man. Okay. And it's really interesting because it talks about how the reason that there is that difference in the two different versions of Spider-Man in that instance is to do with the politics of the time they were made. Yeah. So in the Tobey Maguire era, it was during Operation Iraqi Freedom when America was just going guns blazing. Yeah. And during um, the Andrew Garfield era, it was like a more liberal side of things where Obama was in power and the sort of trend or whatever in youth culture in particular was to be more understanding and it was soft power it was the power well, yeah, it was, power it was american just, liberalism yeah it was diplomacy and all that kind of thing yeah so that's where they went for whereas the opposite and it was like it's a reflection of what's going on in politics at the time which i think is really interesting but anyway besides the point that is another issue with the Tobey Maguire movies and particularly with um spider-man 2 yeah um, well, interesting sorry to take another aside in- interestingly enough um, there is a, when you were saying like with Peter's intelligence he could cure cancer. Yeah, there's an interesting line in a Spider-Man comic book when one of the Sauron, not Sauron, that's Lord of the Rings, but Sauron, the pterosaur-headed, winged scientist man. <laughs> Spider-Man and so Sauron has teamed up with a guy called Stegron, who's another dinosaur <laughs> man. Obviously, comics be crazy. Comics, and Spider-Man turns around and he's like. Look at everything you've done here. Look at what you've done. All of this genetic engineering is a miracle. You could cure all cancers. And Sauron, uh, Sauron, done it myself. Sauron's response is, "I don't want to cure cancer." And you're like, "Well, he's a he's a villain then." That's a bad guy. Yeah, there's that's, no two, that's a real bad guy. There's no two ways about that. You're an evil person. Yeah, he was like, "I don't want to be a villain. I want to make these dinosaurs." And you're like, "Okay." Okay, and that's one of the one. I think that's one of the ones where he's got the Iron Spider costume, but it could be wrong. Okay, but um, um, but yeah, I mean that's yeah. part of the issue. And then of course, with all with all these franchises, there always comes a point they they do two or you know they do some really good work and get people on side, and then they put a movie out that destroys all the goodwill you had <laughs> towards those characters and that franchise and that series, and just completely bombs it out. And for Sam Raimi, that was Spider Man Three. Yeah, Spider Man Three. I mean, there's been a lot has been said about it. I don't think we need to bang on about it too much. No, but... I mean, I do think we need to address it. For anyone that hasn't seen it, it's you know, it is like this culmination. It does sort of have a big retcon in there. So that's the worst like, thing for me. The, yeah, that's like I think that the worst thing for I've literally I've spoken about this just now. The worst thing that they did in, in Spider Man Three was to do the retcon and to have it be so they changed it that so that this character. Flint Marco, who's the Sandman, yeah. played by Thomas Hayden Church, he, in fact, was the one who killed Uncle Ben. That's what they do. That's the retcon they do. They then go back yeah. and go, oh, we originally thought it was this guy, the guy from the wrestling match. Turns out it was this guy. He killed your uncle. And it's go, right, so what you've done there is you've destroyed the very foundation of this character and this series and everything about it by doing that. Because you've you completely want- undermined all the work you've done before yeah. to... Cheaper to really cheaply validate a villain, yeah, who's you, just popped up. You want because they want him to have a good reason, a good like motivation to want to fight this guy. That's yeah. all it is. So they go, What can we do? And they go back and they go, Not only that, they take Peter off the hook, yeah, 
if it wasn't the guy that he let go from the wrestling match, it was just some random dude on the street who shot his uncle, mm-hmm. then it had nothing to do with him. And he, there was yeah. no cause and effect. There was no... So the whole thing falls apart. And it's just like, that is just the worst thing you could have possibly done. Yeah, and it absolutely. Really, it really frustrates me. And I hate that the filmmakers, like the people who made the first one, made the third one. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And they there did that. There are three films in Spider-Man 3. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, like... Like, getting beyond, like any of the issues that we've got with it. There are three films in there. Each of those three could have been good. True. So the Harry Osborne one yeah. is the main thing. Like, And that, it, it reminds me a little bit of like what happened with the X-Men franchise because they built up the Dark Phoenix over yeah. two and left it on a cliffhanger where you, you were excited for the next one. So with Harry Osborne, they've slowly built this up. He, in the first one, Peter supposedly kills his father and he sees Spider-Man bringing home his father and then he hates Spider-Man. Then at the end, in the second one, he finds out Peter's Spider-Man. And, he, oh, and then shit. there's the conflict there. Yeah, and so there's a conflict. And then he finds out at the end too as well that his dad was the Green Goblin. He stumbles upon his lair. And you go, oh shit, three's going to be amazing because he's going to have all the Goblin stuff and he's going to come after Peter. And then they go into that in this one. Yeah. But because they have to also do Venom and, and Sandman, they have to juggle it all around. And their solution to it, to get Harry out of the picture for a bit, is to give him a bump on the head... And have him forget the last two movies. And put in uh, the most cringeworthy performance afterwards oh, of yeah. an amnesiac that you're ever likely oh, to yeah. see on screen. And then and then when it's convenient for the plot for him to remember, have him remember again. Yeah. It's just fucking the most lazy shit writing. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, God, I hate it. See, that could have worked <laughs> because Harry became the goblin in the comics. Yeah, that should have been amazing to and see this like follow through from three movies. Yeah, it and it's like we could have seen that sort of photo realistic style that we saw with like the behind the scenes stuff with the mask. Oh yeah, they could have really modernized it. They could have really gone in really hard on making this new goblin and working out who it was. And they could have had it that that Harry was faking the amnesia. They could have had anything in there whatsoever, and that he was slowly pulling apart Peter's life. And causing all these other things to happen. But they didn't. They completely fucked it. They, they, it, And it's, it was just disheartening to see it put on screen so badly. Yeah. It was really, really uncomfortable to see how poor the performances were. Yeah. Especially between... And this is not to say, because, you know, the fact that he's not a nice person aside, James Franco, yeah. like, put, has put in some amazing performances and stuff. Yeah. And... He could have been so much better. Yeah. And Kirsten Dunst has, is a great actress. Could have been so much better. Tobey Maguire could have been so much better. They could have all been so much better, but they bit so much further down on the hamminess in this. Oh, yeah. That it just becomes silly. Yeah. It becomes like, like, it becomes a soap opera. Yeah. Which is not what you're going to see. You're going to see fluff and fun and lasers and bright colours. You're not going to see bad acting in shitty sets. Yeah. And then not only do they do that, but then they put in two massive storylines as well. Yeah. One of which is the probably the the one with the longest legacy in there. And then they bring in the Sandman as well. And they do some some really interesting things with the I Sandman. Think, yeah, and then like, they f- fucking forget that he's in it. No, they do the same thing. They find ways to get rid of them for a bit. Yeah. So with Sandman, he gets he gets water all over him. He gets he gets wet basically for yeah. a bit. And then so then he's out of the movie for twenty minutes. 
so they could do some stuff with Venom and Eddie Brock played by Topher Grace. Yeah. Which is a whole other thing. So Topher Grace, they introduce him. Then they introduce Gwen, Gwen Stacy, so there's a love rival. Yeah. Then they introduce it, and there's Captain Stacy. And then for some reason, Captain Stacy brings Peter and Aunt May down to the station to tell them they got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, oh. It doesn't go around the house. And we're not even talking about the elephant in the room, which is the fucking jazz scene. Where the emo, thing is, emo like, Peter Parker, and and he oh, and then he starts hell. strutting down the street and put and doing finger guns at women, and just everything. And it's like it's. I mean, it's been talked about a lot before. It's yeah, a car I mean crash. that's the it's thing. An it's it's an crash. absolute car crash. You can easily find if you've never seen it. I'll be astonished. Um, but yeah, go on YouTube and look it up. Just about how abysmally bad it is, and then look up all the memes and jokes around it. Yeah. I think like we could easily go on for another sort of ten minutes or so. I will say the one, the you know what, the, who gives the best performance in that movie? Who? The best performance in that movie is from the woman in the jazz bar who he asks to get them a table because he go he slips her a, like some money and says, "Now find us some shade," and she goes, "Right this way, sir," like that, and she's like biting down her tongue and like yes. trying not to vomit. And she just says that, and you can just see the side of her face. And she goes, right, this right. She's got to be nice because she works in the service industry. <laughs> but she's like, she's wanting, she's repulsed by him. And that is like a subtle, nice little bit of acting. It's the subtle, yep. the most subtle anything in that movie is. And I applaud her for that. So fair play. Oh, jeez. And like, the thing. Yeah. Let's, let's... Three just annoys me. I know. Like, simply because there's so much horribly wasted potential. In yes. There. Yeah. There was so much that couldn't have been done. Like Venom is one of the most important storylines that's been in there. Not in terms of importance to Peter, because it's it's had ramifications further on, but what it allowed was the creation of the Venom character, who yeah. has then spawned off to have this significantly larger legacy than anyone could have even anticipated back when he first came out. And then there's the Sandman story. And Sandman has always been a bit of a generic villain. Mm. He's always been a bit of a, I'll get you next time, Spider-Man, and then shakes a big sandy hand. But there are some things in there that are really good with Sandman. Like the, like the, scene, where the he, scene where he's rebuilding himself. It's fucking amazing. It's spectacular. I love that scene. And I think that's, a lot of people talk about that as being the shining moment. And it's like, even the effects hold mm-hmm. up. And they're not easy effects to do they're particles no. and like but just you have you see but this you follow a single grain of sand yeah pulling itself together and rolling its way up more sand yeah as the rest of the sand all comes together everyone knows how sand moves we've all played on a beach but the way that you see it all come together and then you see the performance like yeah. thomas hayden church's like mocap performance of like his hand coming up and you're going to put his arm down to rest and then his arm collapses and then you can see, like, the expression like, yeah. of sorrow in his own like, face. And... You're watching a sand creature have an existential crisis. Yeah. But you're totally invested in it. Yeah. I'm more invested in that than I am in anything that Pete or MJ or, or James Franco are doing. Yep. Like, and then they, then they get into the whole thing, like, talking of James Franco and that plot, they then, when he regains his consciousness, he then decides, instead of killing Peter, which is what his intention was at the beginning of the movie, he's going to get Mary Jane to break up with him. Yeah for some reason, because they have to make everything about Mary Jane, which means that when they have their second fight, they're not fighting over about his father anymore. Now they're just fighting over a girl. I, anyway, I fucking hate it. I hate it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, the last thing, I think the last sort of word on Raimi is that they did, attempt, at one point, he did want to make a Spider-Man 4. 
Yeah. He was very much like he knew that he fucked up with three and he openly talks about how it was a disappointment to him and he doesn't and he feels like he got compromised. He never wanted Venom in it. Yeah. That was a big thing and they shoot horned it in because the fans wanted it and the studio demanded that he put Venom in it. Yeah. Um he always wanted to do Sandman, so there wasn't a co- he, but he wasn't like no one was willing to compromise. That was the problem with what yeah. ended up happening. Is like he could have said, Fine, the studio wants Venom, I'll save Sandman for four. But yeah. he didn't. But he had like, a plan for making I have to have Malkovich. Yeah, and then but then four, like yeah, he had it all sketched out. So they were gonna have John Malkovich was gonna play the Vulture. They were gonna have Anne Hathaway playing the Vultress. No. No, she was gonna play Black Cat. No, that's the thing. She was gonna play Felicia Hardy, but she wasn't gonna be Black Cat. They were gonna say apparently she was gonna be Vultress. I was right. I was literally looking about this the other day. That's silly. Which is weird. But um yeah, they were gonna have that. They were gonna have they was there were storyboards done for it. And one particular bit was a bit they were gonna have um Spider-Man arrest Mysterio at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then they bring him in, take the fishbowl off, and it's Bruce Campbell. Yeah. And it was Bruce Campbell the whole time. That would have been really cool. Um, and he like Sam Raimi wanted to do it because he felt like he needed to go out on a high note because he felt so disappointed in 3. But they kept clashing him in the studio, and then he eventually decided, look... Because they kept sort of like subtly suggesting to him, like, you know, we could just do a reboot, you know. We could just you know, reboot with new, new actors yeah. and all. And he was like... I don't want to do a reboot. I want to do this. It was like, you know, I mean, we could do a reboot though, couldn't we? And he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm out. You go ahead with your reboot. That's clearly what you guys want to do. Yeah. And then we ended up with the reboot, which was The Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about next time. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break mm-hmm. because um, this has worked out to be a longer episode. So we are going to do a part two. Yeah. So stick with us for that. Um, we're not going to give you our normal exit no you know post episode gump but basically tune in for the next episode which will probably be up in a day or two yeah and um yeah and then you will be talking about the amazing spider-mans and spider-man homecoming yeah uh yeah so see you soon see ya bye bye you feel excited and at the same time terrified truth is you don't know what to feel except you know the kind of man you want to be it's as if you've reached the unreachable and you weren't ready for it mj you said that peter well something like that (laughs) harry walks in sees sees the girl he's dating holding the hand of an old friend of theirs whilst they're at his elderly grandmother's bedside yeah and immediately jumps to conclusions because that's not a normal thing for people to do. It's not like they were, he had a bent over the fucking job in. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Cyril. <laughs> Hello. Pete? <laughs> MJ? <laughs> May? <laughs> Just May. Oh, my. Oh, oh my. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. all three of us be having tea together? <laughs> it's all my doing. That reminds me of a very long, boring story about your uncle. <laughs> your uncle and I are Woodstock. <laughs> oh, mate. Um, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, let's yeah, start. Yeah, yeah, yeah.